Welcome to Why Can Voice, brought to you by the Insurance Cultural Awareness Network, bringing you the latest on diversity and multicultural inclusion within the UK insurance industry. Our guests include industry leaders ranging from large insurers, consultancies to the leading insurtech startups, featuring our very own ICANN hosts. Together, we can create action. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to I Can Voice, your podcast for everything related to diversity and inclusion within the UK insurance industry. My name is Kishan Mangat and I'm a Senior Associate at DWF Law and the Co-Chair for ICANN. Today I'm joined by my co-host Natalia Zrosky, Content Manager at Boston Consulting Group and ICANN Marketing Lead. I'm also joined by our special guest, Lara Pedley, who is the Managing Director of ISC Group, Jane Harley, who is the co-chair of the Gender Inclusion Network, and Claire McDonald, who is the chair of the Insurance Women Inclusivity Network, which is part of the Worshipful Company of Insurers. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. Before we jump in, can you please give our listeners a brief overview of what you do? We start with you, Lara, first. Yeah, of course. Hi, everybody. I'm Lara. I'm the MD of an organization called ISC Group. Um, And we're a not-for-profit organization that supports the development and progression of women in the insurance sector. Thanks. And Claire? Hi, I'm Claire MacDonald, and I'm the member of the Executive Board and HDI Global, responsible for property engineering and marine. So that means underwriting and claims, and also all our risk consulting services globally. Thanks. And Jane? Hi everyone, so I am Jane Harley, I am the Senior Manager for Delegate Authorities and Digital Tools at Lloyd's, so really um, dealing with everything to do with distribution channels um, throughout the Lloyd's market, that's the day job. Brilliant, thanks ladies for joining us today Um, and thank you for the great introductions. Um, Today I wanted to talk about the work that you guys are doing with your respective networks um, around International Women's Day, uh, which I know was on the 8th of March, but I mean, I can still continue to celebrate it now and I'm sure your networks are doing the same. So um, I've got some questions for you. So if I just jump in with the first question, how how are each of your networks promoting International Women's Day this year? So if I start with Jane and Jim. So at GIN, what, what we were really keen to do is try to do an in-person event this year. So um, we hosted an event on the 10th of March, and it was, a, um, I don't know if anyone's read it, but there's a book called The Authority Gap um, by Marianne um, Sigart. It's an amazing book, so I'd rec- absolutely recommend um, reading it if you've not read it. But we had a Q&A session with her, um, actually at Lloyd's, but we, so we collaborated in GIN. Lloyd and QBE were also um, a partner in that event. So we had about probably about 160 people attend. So it was great for a first in-person event um, and probably our biggest event at Lloyd's for a couple of years, obviously, with everything that's happened. So it was really, it was really, really nice. And then we had a um, networking opportunity afterwards. So that was what we chat we done for International Women's Day this year. Um, yeah, so it was excellent. Brilliant. That's great to hear. Um, Lara, what about you guys? What have you done at ISC? Well, I have the saying at ISC, which is uh, every day is International Women's Day at ISC Group. Um, So this year we wanted to do something that lasted the whole 12 months. Um, And our theme this year has been all around uh, inclusion of men. And so 
we are <clears throat> we launched something called the International Sponsorship Scheme at ISC Group, which is um, addressing the sponsorship the sponsorship gap that has come around since the Me Too campaign, um, which is that uh, a lot of research shows that men feel a little bit more uncomfortable now going and creating those relationships with women in their organizations, specifically around sponsorship, if they don't have a, an existing relationship there to, to go off. Um, and so here at IC Group, we are all about creating safe spaces for those relationships to develop and, um, and grow. So we're providing this platform for male sponsors to come into this um, safe space for women protégés to come in. Um, and we're doing a matching process to make sure that um, I think we've got around 77 um, women enrolled in sponsorship scheme this year, match them with 77 men in the market. And hopefully over the next 12 months that um, the scheme will provide those 77 women more opportunities to um, get their voice heard, get their name into rooms that they may not otherwise be able to enter um, and see progression off the back of that. Brilliant to hear. And Claire, what about Iwin? What's Iwin up to? Yeah, well, like Jin, we had our first in-person event for the best part of two years uh, and we held that last Thursday, I think the same night actually. Um, smaller group, um, we had about 40 people there um, and we did a theme around breaking the bias around looking at insurtech and, fin insurtech and, and traditional insurance and you know we need to be breaking the bias in insurtech just as much as we need to be breaking the bias in conventional insurance otherwise you know we're not going to get systems and tools and setups that actually accurately reflect both both genders um, we had a lively discussion uh, and some networking opportunity afterwards as well, which I think went down very well with everybody. But yeah, really nice to get back into seeing people again. Um, yeah, a few, few faces I hadn't seen for a while. So that's what we got up to. And, and what was really quite cool about our event, I'd say, it was about 50 50 men and women. That's brilliant. Um, you know, if, I mean, I know there's people think you want to talk about later, but if we go back a couple of years, it would have been 95%, you know, women and maybe one or two men. And it was really nice to get a real mixture in the room, uh, which is which I think, you know, proves the topic was of interest to both genders. Yeah, actually, Claire, on that, and that kind of goes nicely into what I was going to ask next um, in terms of questions. You said going a couple of years back, that 50-50 split probably wouldn't have necessarily been there. So what I wanted to ask was, how do you feel then that International Women's Day has evolved over the past few years and really specifically in the context of insurance? How do you think the industry's response to, to IWD has, has changed? One of which was the points that you just pointed out now, but maybe just yeah. going on a little bit more about that. Well, I think, I think it's become a lot more accepted by the guys. Um, so I think, you know, a couple of years ago, any event that had women in the title probably was enough to scare the other, you know, the, the men away um, and not want to participate. Whereas I, I really do think that there's a much bigger percentage of guys now in the market that get, get it. And I think to some extent, it's, I think some of that, that recognition is crossover from some of the BLM conversations in that the minority cannot fix the majority. And I think actually some of that BLM conversation that, that came up around that, I think has been quite helpful to gender. And I think the guys are now realizing that they, if they're not part of the problem, if they're not part of the solution, they're part of the problem. So I think I, think I, I feel 
there's a lot more guys also wanting to celebrate IWD Day as well and not just see it as a, oh, it's a day for women and when's our day, you know, which is what the standard answer used to be before. And when you tell them it's in November and they've got to organise something for themselves and they don't bother. But, um, you know, I think it's a different conversation this year. Yeah, no, that's, I was going to say Jane, actually. Sorry, Jane, go oh, ahead. No, sorry, I was going to just say, I think there, there's like a stat or whatever the right reference is for it, that um, on International Women's Day, still the most um, Googled thing is when is International Men's Day. So there's, there, uh, there's something on that. And I think that it's like, it's still, it's great though. We are, we do so many events and so much like, whether it's role profiling of role models and International Women's Day and like Women's History Month, I think that's really, really good. However, I still think it's like, there's a lot of talk and it's actually get from talk into action. So I don't know if you guys have seen it, but um, on Twitter, there's like the gender pay gap bot account. I've seen it. Amazing, right? I just, I, like, so I was like, that's, that I literally was like, that is genius. And we were all like um, messaging the gin committee in the WhatsApp group going, this is like, why did nobody think about this before? Because, but it's like, think before, think before you speak, are you going to show action? Because actually yeah. you're going to be called out if you're not like, practicing what you're preaching then you kind of so I think it's kind of companies are got to do a little bit more as well to get that gender pay gap more equal yeah so do you think then Jane I mean as you're saying now do you feel like there's been changes that have happened over the years in terms of the sort of approach as you were saying the different let's say gin events that you've been doing yeah. right have you noticed that the audience has changed have you noticed mm. that there's an uptick how, how have you found it I think it depends what angle you come at so if it's something that is of genuine interest to people then I think you'll get more a more balanced network um and like in events but for our one we had still only probably about I reckon about 10 to maybe 13 percent of that group um on Thursday were male and I I just think there's we we can do more for that whether it's we have to is females as well like like actively take and ask men to come which I did do before the event but it's actually getting people to turn up and listen because when they go away they're probably going to learn a hell of a lot from it so um and especially quite a lot of maybe senior men might have daughters um and surely you would want want an industry that's different before your daughters um maybe come and work in it or if anybody come to work in that younger generation, like to see some change before they come. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's to your point of turning rhetoric into action, which is mm-hmm. so, so important and sort of a theme that we had a couple of years back in ICANN and actually those changes, right, actually being made. And I think to, to Claire's point, it's so important to involve, you know, the, the majority into the conversation. Otherwise, you know, the, the changes won't happen and we won't see them. I mean, Laura, from the ISC group perspective, I mean, you sort of have a, this neat holistic overview of the industry, right, from the different insurers and brokers and how they've been, you know, sort of responding to IWD. What have you observed over, over the years and maybe today and how things have, have changed? So I'd say my career in the, the DNI space, which has been around six years now, um, the general consensus in the insurance sector is that we've moved from talking about the issues to doing something about it. Like I, I can really see that uh, progression, um, which is fantastic. Um, and then the second point around uh, 
male involvement. So this is something that I talk about with our corporate members on a daily basis. It's it's top of the agenda. Um, and I think it's just the conversations I'm having with them are, to your point, Jane, you've got to pick the, the moments where you want men to be involved in the conversation. And a, a, a large majority of the companies that we work with try and deal with DNI as a whole and invite everybody into the conversation um, before sort of understanding some of the underlying uh, tensions or barriers or feelings of some of the employees. So what we're actually talking a lot to our to our corporate members around um, is about creating forums uh, of these groups of individuals that have a similar similar mindsets or are of a similar minority really tease out those issues and then look at all of the issues together holistically and say, okay, wh which conversation do we need to have with everybody there? So what's, what's an educational piece which, which will attract a broad audience where lots of people can get the learnings? Um, and what conversations do we need to have just with women or with another minority group? I mean, it's, it's about, I think, stepping back now from, we've raised awareness, we've started doing some action, but let's be a bit strategic about how we're going to get the best involvement um, rather than dilute the impact by inviting everyone to everything and then expecting um, that attendance to, to be there and, and the learnings to be the same. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, to, to your point, it's sort of making it now, as you said, it's we've achieved the awareness and now it's just kind of funneling those messages to the right people to be able to have more of that, that kind of lasting impact. What I wanted to touch upon that you were saying there from the men's perspective and another question that I was going to ask, and this is due to all of you, was what role do you feel men can or should play on International Women's Day? And maybe, Laura, I'll just kind of leave it with you, just given the work that IEC is, um, is currently working on that you mentioned earlier. Um, so we're plugging our own initiative. Um, <laughs> I think um, our, our male sponsorships which I have to say has been welcomed so fantastically. So um, the, the way that we put the scheme together is by um, uh, reaching out to our members and getting them to uh, our members to say who would like a sponsor and then going out to the market to find the right sponsor for that individual because uh, for a sponsor to be effective, they need to be in the same um, company and in a relatively similar area of the industry in order for it to be really effective. Um, and I'd say even though our matching process is meant to be going through all the way to the end of March, that we're almost 100% matched up right now. And that's because we've reached out to, the, to our members, we've reached out to our male allies, and we've said, look, this is what we're putting on. Do you want to get involved? And um, I don't think there's been a no, um, which, which to me is a great way for men to get involved because we're going to them and saying, this is what we need of you. Here are the guidelines. Um, here are the objectives and the outcomes. Um, and we're not asking you to change. We're asking you to leverage your own network and, and, and really pull some, someone along with you. Um, and I think because they can see that they can make a tangible difference and mm -hmm. it's in a safe space that we've really had that willingness to participate. Yeah, on that topic of allies, then, um, and Claire, over to you. How do you think men specifically in the you know insurance and the insure tech space as well um, can be better better allies to towards women, especially if we look at this year's theme of break the bias? Well, if I look at even just look at um, the IWIN committee that we've now got together. Um, I mean, the IWIN committee, which for those of you who don't know, is the um, Insurance Women's Inclusivity Network. It's part of the WCI, which is the worst for company of insurers. 
just to explain, these are not the normal acronyms that you get everywhere. Uh, what is the WCI? It's the Guild of Insurers. Um, if you want to look at guilds, then, you know, please feel free to Google, but it's sort of the, the means by which people could trade in the city in the olden days. Um, but just coming back to that. So traditionally, um, before I took over as chair on that, we, we didn't have any guys on our committee. At, at, I think we had one guy for, for, for a little while, but other than that, before that, no guys on the committee at all. And um, and I think we came into the beginning of last year with a bit of a fresh approach to say, well, okay, who wants to step forward? And we had a number of male candidates really wanting to step forward to be on that committee. We wouldn't have had that a little while ago. Um, and, you know, the two guys that, that, that stepped forward at that point in time have been fantastic um, in terms of driving their initiatives and, and driving their activities. Um, and, and it's also a bit of a flag bearing then for the other for other guys to think, well, I can be on this committee, I can do something. And I think to Laura's point, if people feel like they're actually going to make a difference, then they're probably more likely to subscribe to it. Um, and I think, you know, certainly where we're at uh, with IWIN, those guys can see that they can make a difference and they can have a positive impact. And, and, and I think that's really great. And, and I think just for the fact that we have now a more balanced committee in terms of gender, then again, as I said, sends out that signal that it's it's a it's a space for men as it as it is a space for women. But yeah, the the topics we're going to talk about and focus on is, is about women, but the space isn't exclusive. And and I think, you know, that's a, a bit of a shift than what we would have had a little while ago. Yeah, I was going to actually ask about that shift. And Jane, from your perspective with Jen, have you seen maybe that sort of shift going from maybe what some may perceive as sort of exclusive dance to one maybe more inclusive? Just be great to hear from you. So I definitely think there is more an inclusive element of it. So when I started co-chairing Jen probably about three years ago, and again, there was no men on the committee, um, but when we go to have conversations with some of our sponsors, definitely more active male engagement so they might not be the committee member but they're sort of the sponsor behind a lot of the um a lot of the networks um so i'm just thinking even like for you guys um like i can there's one example in an in industry that we all probably know of and he's an absolute champion for everything and one of the insurers and any any single one of us could go and talk to him and have quite an open conversation um, and they, and I think that's where we need to get to more of like so that's that's my take on it anyway. Thanks Jane I think yeah I completely agree with you um, well all three of you actually about the importance of bringing men into this conversation um, one of the things that I did want to ask about and Jane you touched upon this briefly um, a couple of questions ago it's just about social media um, mm. and how that has played specifically within our sector in particular, within insurance, um, how that's been used at the moment to promote International Women's Day. I mean, I've seen various campaigns going on at the moment, which I think are brilliant in terms of highlighting women in the market. You know, have you guys employed the use of that and, and how successful has it been? I definitely think um, social media is a great tool. So something that I have I've learned probably over the last, year especially maybe 24 months since um the world has changed a little bit and we have even more emphasis on social media that i'm not an expert 
in like say technology or actually how to communicate best with people like so we need to make sure that we are targeting so like LinkedIn we all naturally go to LinkedIn and we'll do posts but if we want to target like the younger generations as well it is the TikToks it's the Instagrams um, and like if you um, like, I just it goes over my head and so I, lo- I love using them but actually how to position a post on those like those platforms and it's utilizing and getting other, like the next generation to come in and support on that so we can continue when we're employing like the next round of talent into the industry that we have the right people coming in so they know that insurance is a great place to come and work from and actually you can get whatever career that you want to get from it great thanks how about um with ISC, Lara, what, what what are they doing in terms of your social media outreach? So I think social media is a great way to um, share stories and um, raise awareness. Um, but again, it goes back to my piece of um, that only goes so far. And so uh, I think social media is paired. It needs to be paired with initiatives coming behind it that have longevity um, and actionable items for everybody to engage, but also then carry that message on for the next uh, few months um, and years, uh, because otherwise we just see the same stories coming out uh, over and over again, and um, and uh, no actions happening. I think that goes back to your point about being strategic as well, isn't it, Laura? It's going past sort of here's the awareness and putting up maybe the same sort of pieces we're used to seeing, which nothing wrong with those any good awareness is, is good to have but maybe just looking at things through a slightly different lens now the product sort of had the the longevity of the event go forward can i just add something onto that as well though but i think a lot of companies do really good posts and really good interaction but see if we all join forces as an industry and we really were all singing towards the same hymn sheet like we could really use social media for like a greater good rather than all doing different things sometimes so I do think having that joined up approach not for everything um but especially when it comes to like like deny initiatives like why why don't we join up more yeah that's an idea for next year isn't it yeah definitely (laughs) um my, my next question is um just about women and their experiences um, and acknowledging that not all women have the same experiences including women from social from different social economic backgrounds or different ethnicities um, single parents um, do you think that IWD is intersectional enough and if I kick off with Claire what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's what you make it isn't it really I yeah. mean the IWD themes are generally broad enough that I think most people could identify with them in some shape or form. I mean, certainly for me on a personal level, I think this year's theme, I didn't realise I'd been breaking biases all my career until I really thought about it. I was like, oh, well, that's what I've been doing. Um, but I think there's, yeah, I mean, I think that the headings tend to be wide enough. I think it's also just making making sure that if we are putting events on, that, that they are going to be... Um, attracting a wide as a wider demographic as, as we can be, you know, to that in terms of, like you said, age, ethnicity, single parents, et cetera. I mean, certainly for our own event the other day, we, we certainly had a good mix of everything in the room. So, you know, 
that's the only thing I think you can take away from that. If, if, if you've got a good mix turned up, then, um, you know, then, then that's good. I think that, that probably actually, obviously one of the hardest ones to actually see is different socioeconomic backgrounds because it's not something that you can guess from, you know, not necessarily what somebody's going to disclose or, or how they look like or, or whatever. So that's probably the only one where I'd say, I don't know. I don't know if people can attend something because they've got a rush home because they've got another job to do in that evening. Um, that one's a bit more <laughs> opaque to me, but I think certainly for the others, I think yeah, we're, we're, there's something for everybody on IWD. I think around um, socioeconomic backgrounds, I think one of the things that is really key as well is, and I've seen this with IWIN, is making events free to come to because some of the livery events I know that it will attach a charge to certain events but actually you know IWIN focuses on making many of their events free for people to attend um, and they open it up past their, their membership so and I know that with ISC I've seen the same and with GIN as well I've seen the same so I think that kind of helps when you're trying to attract people from a, a you know a more a different sort of socioeconomic background. Do you not think it helps as well that like in the last two years all of our like all our events will have been remote until like week um so these are all virtual events and yes you miss out on the networking aspect which is vital for people so um absolutely that's really great to have in person but a lot of the events when they are like um virtual they're recorded so people can access them at any point in time so i do think that opens up um a lot to a lot of different um like a, a lot of different people so I think that I think that has been a great aspect and it's something that we shouldn't like kind of now we are able to host things in person we keep doing some of the virtual things because I think that's really good for people yeah it all goes back to that hybrid way of, of working then right mm. but I think it's exactly to your point Jane I remember reading a post from a girl over in the Netherlands and she didn't live in Amsterdam she lived in a smaller town and she provided a different perspective on the pandemic and saying, actually, normally it would cost me a lot of money to go in and it was really, really difficult. But actually, now I can attend these events and I don't have to worry about missing out, as an example. And even on the networking side, because sometimes you do have networking that's virtual and, you know, mm -hmm. we could we could debate it until the cows come home if it's effective or, or not. But I think, as you said, it's I think the pandemic and some of it, the good things that have come out of it. Is again people from different parts of let's say whether that's the Netherlands, whether that's here the UK, have been able to to attend those events, right? Um, have you seen that maybe from the ISC perspective, Laura, in terms of maybe the demographic that you have, or if you have that breakdown of people that attend your events? Well, I think this comes back to my piece, which is uh, the saying that. Uh, every day at the ISC is International Women's Day because um, you couldn't possibly try and address everything in, in one event um, in one day. And this is what I meant by um, trying to be inclusive in your programming throughout the entire year. And this is why it's important that these initiatives exist, right? We don't just come together for this one day. We are all doing work in, in different spaces throughout the year to create that change. Um, and so I think I'd love to see um, inclusion continue to uh, evolve and um, year on year as Claire said for that um, for that intersectionality piece to play, play more of a uh, maybe a visible role in in the day 
Um, but I think in the background, um, from our perspective, uh, our programming has lots of different interse intersectionality pieces going along. And, and every day we're learning more about the different minority groups within women um, and taking that, applying it to our programming um, and then issuing it to the market to hopefully uh, create um, more change for all women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on, Jane, when, when we were speaking about the pandemic and some of the good things that they have come out of it when it comes to, let's say, attending events or on the socioeconomic side, which might be easier for people to attend events, let's say it would normally be an event in London, but instead they can actually just attend it online. Um, so in some ways, the pandemic has been great. But on, on the other side of things, um, when it comes to the pandemic, women have been disproportionately impacted compared to they are our male counterparts. Um, according to McKinsey, female jobs were 1.8 times more vulnerable to the pandemic than men. LSE cited that 64 million women have lost their jobs globally during the pandemic. And at its highest um, recorded by the Office of National Statistics for the UK, women also spent 64% more time on childcare duties. Now with restrictions largely off, offices are now reopening. We're starting to see that hustle, but hustle and bustle back in the market. What do you feel the post-pandemic future holds for, for women in the workplace? And Jane, I'll start with you. I actually find this a really difficult one. I had a crystal ball. And like, so from my own personal perspective, I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, we have to hold ourselves accountable to not allow it to go back to like the kind of pre-pandemic ways. Um, and I, But it's really hard when quite a lot of... Um, senior people in industry are male um, and they're very much wanting people back in the office. It's, it's expensive to have an office in London, right? So I can completely understand. And the key benefits of being in the office as well from a personal development point of view, you pick up on things that you might not um, have awareness of when you're just sitting in a room at home. So I do think there's a balance. Um, but I, I personally think we have to hold ourselves accountable to get this hybrid way of working like right for everybody um and that yeah so like people have got used to being able to get home for dinner time and are just switching off the laptop and having dinner with their children or going to do hobbies in the evening that they've because they've got that extra hour rather than the muting so um i'd like to I like, I like to be optimistic so i'm hoping that it will it will be great for females um but i think we is um, networks have to keep pushing on that door and with their like holder sponsors accountable as well to be, like keep being proactive for females yeah definitely and then, claire i was going to ask you then so of course you sit on a, a senior committee then i'm sure you've had this conversation more times than you can count about what this sort of new new ways of working or new office of the future looks like in a post-pandemic world but but what are your thoughts well, I'm firmly committed to the hybrid model going forward in terms of, I, I think it, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of nuance my points really. So first of all, I think the hybrid model is definitely the way forward and I, and, and I will you know, definitely, I'm passionate about maintaining that in the organisation that I work for and, and it's something that I think we're all, we're all believing. And we've made uh, premises decisions in London based on that fact now, yeah, that we will be hybrid. That's the first point. The second point I would say though is, that and I'm one. I will put my hand up. I'm in this camp. I'm doing a lot more childcare than I used to do. Yeah, 
um you know even at my level i used to have an au pair before the before the pandemic i don't have an au pair anymore and i seem to be doing the au pair's job as well as mine um and 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 i'm sure i'm not the only one where things haven't gone quite back to normal in terms of support services around individuals and and what concerns me is for example when i come into the city and i see the queues outside sandwich shops at lunch times and there isn't a single woman in the queue not a single woman, you know, and this was a queue of about 20 people standing outside the sandwich shop the other day at one o'clock and not a single woman in the queue. Now that, and that wasn't a Monday or a Friday. It was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, which I was in the city last week. Um, and that's what worries me. So it worries me that, that some of our support services are not back in place and it's easier for us to stay at home than to come in. And then that worries me in terms of the visibility factor. Um, because, you know, if it's more of the guys coming in than it is the women, well, first of all, you know, what does that do for culture if it becomes more male-dominated? And secondly, what happens then around the promotions and the stuff if people, if women aren't so visible? So while I, I really like, I want the hybrid, I also think that we as women also need to make sure we are in the office in the number of days a week that we should be in the office, which is probably two or three days a week as a minimum to be visible, to continue our progression and to continue our career development in, 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 in the right way. I like what you said there on the importance of having visible role models, right? I never even thought to look at a sandwich shop queue as an example to see what's happening, right? But That's I mean, it's telling, right? That's what it used to look like when I first yeah. started, you know, before we had a Marks and Spencer's that sold any female product. Um, you know, we don't need to go back there, please, ladies. Let's, you know, let's stay visible in the city. <laughs> but no, I, I agree with that point. And I think that's an interesting take, right? To go look at all the progress that we've made, look at all these IWD events, look at how much has been made, progress has been made in the wider market. And the last thing we want to do is unravel that as well, right? So it's interesting how, how we, the other perspective. Yeah, and I just, I'd, I'd add to Claire's point, and Claire, this was something I was going to, um, well, I put this forward as a suggestion for our Agile working policy um, uh, research topics, which was trying to identify like a minimum threshold of when, uh, of how many days in the office it becomes then a, uh, a negative or it has a negative impact on your career. Um, because I think from our perspective, the hybrid opportunity, the hybrid model um, creates a lot of opportunities however it, that doesn't mean that it becomes easier to make uh, get progression within your career it means you can go after more roles because a lot of them have more flexibility but it doesn't mean that that pathway is going to be quicker for you or easier um it might be easier in terms of childcare or responsibilities you have at home but potentially not in the office so i think it's just about what we're doing for our members anyway is going forward if people are choosing to take a more flexible or more agile approach to their their jobs then fantastic if that suits their um <clears throat> if their their lifestyle and their goals for the future but we want to make sure that they're going into that decision educated and that if they are choosing to spend a larger proportion of time at home, then they're integrating or being a lot more strategic. You can see this is my key keyword of the, the uh, month around some of the things that they're doing to balance that negative impact of not being in the office um, Monday to Friday. Do you not think, though, as well, it's like females are naturally, they naturally juggle more plates. So it's 
that and that's kind of where I think of it. That if I look at my male counterparts, they they go, oh, it's fine. I don't need to get home um, because my wife or somebody somebody else will pick that up. Um, I can come out. I can come out for that social drink. Whereas females naturally are going, well, actually, I need to get home. I, I've got to go. Like Claire, when you're saying, well, I'm doing more childcare than what I've ever done probably before. Like I'm now doing all these. I'm doing three or four different roles all together. And I just think that what we have to, I say we, like the industry has to be really careful of is that we don't allow people to get to that burnout part um, because people are just, people only have so much resilience and we need to be, equip people to feel comfortable with whatever they're doing. Um, and otherwise people just go, I'm done. I can't, I can't take any more. Um, so as an industry, we've got to be really careful with that. I like yeah, the fact that these well, guys nearly 18. So, you know, I'm nearly at the end of it. I don't know what it would be like if, if you know, I was dealing with a six-year-old or eight-year-old or something like that, you know. I think it's... And then you've got parents, on top, elderly parents in that mix and you've got other things in that mix as well, haven't you? Yeah. So, yeah, easy to get to that burnout stage. I think also just picking up on, on Jane, to your point, what you've just said now, I think the onus as well, at the moment, what we're talking about, it seems like the onus is on women to have to make that decision regarding, you know, being at home or, you know, going into work and things like that. But actually, where's the support from the industry? Where are the support? Where's the support being provided from different organisations to help that to ensure that women who do choose to, you know, work from home for a few days a week are properly supported and do have access to the opportunities that, you know, maybe they may not get. If, you know normally or whatever you know so I just think that's important as well okay great well I'm going to wrap up there it's been a great uh it's been great speaking to all three of you um if you've got any more events coming up then we will direct some of the ICAM members to your websites and to your social media links and everything like that when we post this podcast um but otherwise I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners out there um thank you for tuning in we hope you like the show uh, be sure to like subscribe to i can voice and to follow i can across our social media channels until next time thank you for listening to today's show if you like what you heard please like and subscribe for more information or to become an i can member please follow us on social media or visit i-can.me we look forward to catching you on our next show stay tuned